Good morning, church. Please open your Bibles to John chapter 11. Gospel of John chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 9 says, Man makes his plans and God directs his steps. That may be true, but it's not always fun. And I'm speaking from the present tense because... To be honest, the last couple of hours have not been very fun this morning. I had a um, lesson prepared, 13 pages worth. I had 31 slides ready to go. And it just was not coming together this morning. And so I just began asking God, is, is there a different track you want to take? And it wasn't entirely different, but it's different. I'd like to pray and ask God's blessing upon this message today and then ask you to continue as we move throughout this lesson this morning, specifically today, to continue to pray that God directs these steps. Will you do that with me? Let's pray. Father, we come to you grateful for this day. We got out of bed, and there's a lot of folks who didn't today. We ask your blessing and compassion and mercy to be in their lives, and if possible, for them to get out, we ask you to please bless them with healing. And Father, we were able to get out this morning. We were able to come and gather and sing these songs of praise to you. Knowing that we're going to eat today. We had clothes that we could put on to get us here. Cars to drive us here. Homes to sleep in. We are so blessed. But God, more than all those things, our greatest blessing is you. It's just you. And as we try to fumble and stumble in this world to follow you, to be like you, we are asking as humbly but as fervently as we can, would you help us with that? Thank you for leaving us your spirit so that we didn't have to just will our way into being like you. Thank you for being willing to transform us. Wherever we've set up hurdles to get in the way of that, would you show us what they are? Because we really would like the world to know who you are. And it is beyond us that you have placed on us the task of showing them through our lives. But we want that to be true, especially as dads. We take very seriously, God, the fact that we are called Father. And that's what you're called. That we're called Dada. And that's what you're called. Help us be a father like you. Thank you, Father, for the chance to be able to speak this morning, but this is unusual for me. And I'm asking that you truly take this sack lunch of a lesson and that you break it. Um, like you did on that seashore so many thousands of years ago, and you turn it into a feast. A feast that we can enjoy. But a feast, Father, that does more than just give us enjoyment. But it challenges us and it moves us and it motivates us to look a little bit more like your son than when we walked in these doors. We ask that humbly, but we ask it, Father, fervently because you invited us to do so. In the name of Jesus, and everyone said. Amen. What started the changing of things? It actually started yesterday with the text message. I was trying to wrap things up and get home for dinner. And I had about an hour and a half to two hours worth of wrapping up to do. And so I was calling Gail. And when I went, actually I was texting her. And when I went to text, 
It was already her, and it was a text coming in from her. And it said, and were. Now, my wife's a pretty precise texter, all right? And so I was, I was a little bit thrown off by the and were, but I think it meant answer. And I know that because the little office that I use inside Carlene's garage, when I'm not here, doesn't have very good cell phone reception. And so I went outside and I made a phone call. On the way out to make a phone call outside of the garage, I got another text. Help. And I knew something was wrong. And so I didn't text. I just called Gail when I got outside. And she couldn't speak clearly at first. She said, Jimmy, get home quickly. And I said, what's wrong? She said, I just ran over Chester. That's Tabitha's cat. She was already crying. When I got home, Chester was dead. And uh, Gail wasn't there either. I didn't know where she had gone to. And then she pulled up alongside and she said, I just had to drive away. She said, is, is, is he alive? I said, no, he's dead. And she said, will, will, you, will you help take care of him? And we began to have a discussion about how to best break this to Tabitha. So I lovingly did as well as I could. I'll tell you more about that later. And then we both were walking inside and Tabitha was walking outside. And then we had to tell her that mom had run over a cat. He'd gotten up inside the engine and when she had started the vehicle, he hadn't moved. But when she started to back out some way or another, he did and that was the end of Chester. She did really, really well. She and mom embraced and they just cried and I cried with them. It was kind of a group hug cry thing going. And then she didn't do so well. She ran inside the house and we gave her some time and when I went inside, she was on her face on the ground. It's tough for a dad to see. Chester was a cat that was her cat. While she was at college, she had gone and gotten Chester. And, and he may have been a little bit premature. I don't, we don't know. He, just, he was just tinier than most cats. He could fit in her little hoodie. And he often did while she was washing dishes. She would put him in the back of her hoodie. And he'd just stay there. As he grew, it became a little bit more obvious that he not only had some physical challenges, he may have had some mental challenges. <laughs> it's not fun to la- it's not funny to laugh at special needs cats is it, any more than it is to laugh at special needs people. But Chester really was special needs. Lawnmowers didn't scare him. Cars didn't scare him. There's a lot that didn't scare Chester. There's a lot of things about Chester I don't have time to go into. But he was a special needs cat. It was so hard to watch her cry like that because what it was was an open gate to some other things that she had lost recently in her life. I couldn't fix it. I couldn't make that better. And isn't that what dads are supposed to do? That's what we least feel in this world. Like we're supposed to fix those kind of things. And I couldn't. The best that I could do for the moment is cry. Just cry with her. I'd like to think that when our world stops, 
God stops in our world with us. I'd like to think that when we cry like that, when it just comes out in avalanches, it's just a a Niagara Falls of grief, that somewhere, somehow, God, the God of the universe, is in that with us. I think what stands in the way of even Scripture, as I'm going to show you this morning, that points us to the fact that actually He does, what stands in the way of that is culture. It's just culture. Tears are for sissies. That's what we've been raised to think. Crying is for babies. Have you ever seen the movie A League of Their Own? Great movie. Haven't seen it in a long, long time, so I went back and, and watched it again this, this weekend. And I'm just telling you, it's, it's an amazing movie, not just about baseball, but it's an amazing movie about God. If you've seen the movie in a league of its own, Tom Hanks is a washed-up head coach. He's actually a drunk more than he is a head coach. While all the other guys have gone off to war, he stayed home, and he gets recruited to be the coach of a woman's baseball team, a professional woman's baseball team. You think, well, I didn't even know they had those. Well, they did back in the 40s. And there's a scene in the movie when he calls in one of his outfielders who's made a poor throwing decision in the heat of the game, and he just rips her. I mean, he gives her one incredible chewing out. He is nasty. He is demeaning. And as he's walking back to the dugout, after his little motivational speech, he hears crying. And from the dugout steps, for the audience to hear and all the other team to hear, he shouts, are you crying? To which she says, no. And next comes one of the more infamous quotes in all of baseball, but also maybe in all of the movies. There's no crying in baseball. (laughs) There's no crying in baseball. He walks up to her and he says, my coach, and this off a famous name, used to just ream me out and he'd say this and that, and I didn't cry. There's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in baseball, he says again. I've used that line. (laughs) And I think probably some of you have too. When one of my buddies who's just going on and on about a shot that he's missed when he's been hunting or a buddy of mine is going on about this putt that he's missed, you know, wherever it's appropriate, you just, guys say this to one another, there's no crying in hunting. There's no crying in golf. You fill in the gaps of of whatever it is that that you usually attach that to. When someone's just gone a little bit past the limits of, you know, know, something terrible happened to me, and they're just being whiny about it, that's usually when it's been used. There's no crying in baseball. Well, I really want to make the impression this morning, if I can, there may not be any crying in baseball, but there is crying in the Bible. There is. I don't think this could be a book that relates to who we are. I don't think that Jesus could have claimed, as Rick read a few moments ago, to have suffered in all the ways that we have been challenged and that we suffer without Him being moved to the shedding of tears. 
The Bible shows us clearly, especially through God's Son, Jesus, that God Christ. We've been in a series of lessons here lately entitled, God Did What? And we've looked at some, some unique things about God that, that a lot of folks who aren't in the book may not ever attribute to this incredible creator of the universe, this incredible God, this incredible Father of His church. One of the things that Scripture is very, very clear about, this Father, that He's a God who cries. You say, well, Jimmy, I, um, I thought this was about God, and you mentioned Jesus. Well, two Scriptures you need to tuck in the corner of your mind about Jesus in reference to God is John 5 and verse 19 is one of them. I tell you, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can only do what He sees His Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. I know you've seen a son who mimics his father. That's the picture that you want to have when you think of Jesus in this world. And it's more than just attitude. It's more than just the way he carries himself. It's the entire way he's living out his life. Listen to this in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. It comes from the Apostle Paul who spent a lot of time talking, thinking, being impacted by This Jesus, not necessarily while he was involved in his ministry, but while he occupied his person through the power of the Holy Spirit. He writes, inspired by that spirit. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The son, he writes, is the radiance of God's glory. And here's what I want you to get. And the exact representation of his being. If you're seeing Jesus, the Bible wants us to understand, you're seeing God. He really is Emmanuel. He really is God with us. You couldn't say that about Zeus or any of his cohorts. You couldn't say that about Artemis. You couldn't say that about Poseidon. You can't say that about Buddha. You can't say that about any other what we believe are lesser gods, are non-gods. But you can't say that about this guy. That when you're looking at his son, you're actually looking at him. Forget the acorn doesn't fall far from the tree. He is the tree. Forget that he's a chip off the old block. He is the block. And so I can say with all of my heart this morning that when we take some time to look at God crying and we're going to pause in a moment and look at Jesus, you're actually looking at God. But before we get there, and it's a great text of Scripture, it's one of the most favorite texts of all young children who have to memorize a verse in the Bible. But before we get there, I want you to know a couple of reasons why this God of ours cries. Number one is because we do. There's going to be moments, even days, maybe even weeks that you spend on this earth that you're going to be moved to tears sometimes when you can't move without them. Life is not for the faint at heart. Life is not for the timid. And when life rolls over you, when it gets too much for you, tears come. I don't understand all of that. I went back and did some research about it this week. But it is one of the the ways that our body... It's like a pop-off valve. It just releases when there's too much of any one emotion in our bodies. And we can cry for several different reasons. But the reality that I'm going to talk about first is we cry. 
We get moved to tears. One of those reasons is for sadness. When, when I'm watching my daughter on her knees just sobbing, I love her. I can't help but cry for her and with her. <laughs> and, and, and I love how God orchestrates stuff like this message to you this morning. Not just what happened yesterday, but also this week I'm with the Millicans having a cup of coffee. And as I'm leaving, I find out she loses two pets this week that she's had with her for over 18 years apiece. Wow. And she couldn't talk about it without weeping. We cry because we're sad. We cry because someone that we know that's lost something is sad. We also cry because of fear. Have you ever cried because you've been afraid? Maybe not for yourself. Maybe you have because you've been afraid. But maybe you've cried because of someone that's going into a fearful situation. They're fixing to leave the country and go put their lives in line for us. They're fixing to leave and do anything that in the, in the realm of your mind is dangerous and you're fearful and so you cry. Anger is another instigator of our tears. Have you ever been so angry that you cried? If you're married, I know you have. But you cry because you love this person. You're connected to him. I've never cried over a stranger that I've been angry at. Somebody in San Antonio just last week just cut me off, and I mean almost deathly cut me off. I thought it was over, and I was furious, but I didn't cry about it. I don't care for him. I'm not connected to him, but I was furious at him. So it's a special kind of anger. It's a kind that led to one of the most embarrassing moments of my life as far as church history goes. I was in an elders meeting, and an elder whom I love had accused another staff member who wasn't present of something that is so out of character and so unlike him, I couldn't believe he was even thinking it. And I went to bat for my friend, for our, 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 our staff worker, and I just, I just ripped him. I couldn't believe he was doing this. I couldn't believe he was casting doubt on this man's character. And I, would just, I, I could barely speak. I was crying so much. I don't know if he heard anything, but I know he saw that I cared for my brother immensely. And the fact that I would even cry doing it with him hopefully showed him that I cared for him as well. But it was so embarrassing. Sometimes we cry because we're full of joy, not because we're full of anger or sadness or frustration, but full of joy. Tears flow always, almost always on the gold medal stand at the Olympics, don't they? Almost always. I will never forget the tears that flowed when Ben Crenshaw won his very last Masters. Those of you who are golfers, and it happens to be U.S. Open week, but when Ben Crenshaw won his last Masters, he just immediately, he sinks the putt, maybe two-footer, throws the club down, takes his hat off, and just sobs in front of millions of people. Partly because of the, the victory he had just won, but also because of what he had lost. He would lost his mentor, Harvey Pinnock, that same week. The combination just dropped him to his knees. When Lorne cleared 9-2 in the pole vault, my oldest and my bookworm, the one that just got married here a couple of weeks ago, I ran to the mat, ran to the mat. And when I got there, she was coming off the mat into my arms. And we were laughing and crying at the same time. It was just uh, amazing. She was laughing because she just broke the school record. I was crying because she was so heavy. No, not really. Barely weighs 110 pounds probably. 
But all, what was so fun was all, probably half of Gateway was there with us on that mat, celebrating and crying. Why? Because someone had died? No. Someone was living and we were living with her. When I asked Gail to marry me in a little gazebo in Mark, San Marcos, Texas, I got down on one knee and I presented her the ring and tears started flowing down her cheeks and I'm going to believe it was for joy. <laughs> it could have been for shock or sadness or dismay. Is this is all I get? I don't know. <laughs> Thinking about it this week made me a little misty. We cry for all kinds of reasons. You may not be crying in baseball, but there's crying in the kingdom. There is. Because my God cries. We cry for the most part, I know, out of sadness. And I think that's sad in its own way. I think God would hope there would be more joy in our lives, but He realizes this is the battlefield that we're in. And He hates that. But He cries because we cry. Number two, He cries because He loves you. I know you hear this, but I don't think you hear it often enough. He really loves you. He really does. He thinks the world of you. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, Paul writes, But because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 17, God says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses all understanding, that you might be filled with the measure and the fullness of God. Now, as Paul's writing this, I just have to smile. He's trying to make sense out of something he just wrote doesn't make sense. <laughs> trying to help us to understand something that we'll never understand. He's helping us to know something that's unknowable, how incredible the love of our God is. It's part of the reason why he would cry with you. Yes, he cries because we cry, made in his image. But he cries because we're so loved. And I've got to tell you, I need to hear that. Over and over again, because for the longest time, when I came to this book, maybe I'm not like you, but when I came to this book, most of my life growing up, I anticipated when I left it feeling smaller than I did taller. I anticipated when I opened it and read its pages that I would find out that I was less, not more. That I wasn't enough. That I hadn't done enough. And you know why that's true? <laughs> I hadn't read it. I'd read little parts of it that teachers like me and, and preachers like me had handed out to me in places. And for some strange reason, those folks actually believed that I would be more motivated by guilt than I was God's grace. But then when I started reading this book for myself, I found that, oh, wait a minute. From beginning to end, it's all about grace. But I hadn't read it. And so I just want to encourage you, church, get in the book. Get in there. It really is great stuff. And if you don't know that, it's because you haven't been in it. Don't take my word for it or any preacher or teacher's word for it. You get in this book yourself and you get what I've been getting out of it. Because I only start to realize how much he loves me when I got in it myself. 
A third reason God would cry with us. Not just because He loves us or because we cry. But number three, He has emotions. Now, I can almost guarantee you, probably no one in this church, maybe, but I'm going to go on a limb and say probably no one thought about God having emotions this week. It's just not something we think about much, but He does. He gets jealous, the Bible says. We know that He gets angry. We looked at that last week when we found out God whistles. But Lamentations 3 and verse 22 says that his compassion's bigger than that anger. So we know he gets jealous. We know he gets angry. And we know that the Bible warns that, man, it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. You don't want to go there. But compassion is probably his biggest emotion. And you can always go there. And there's one more emotion we're going to talk about next week that I can't even talk about here because I don't want to give anything away. But I promise you this, it's probably the least thought about emotion of all of the emotions we really don't think about tied to God. And it's going to be fun. You've got to be back next week. But he cries with us because we cry. He cries with us because he loves us. And he cries with us because he has emotions. Please, please, Get that. Because I think too often in our walk with God, we focus in the churches of Christ more on what God thinks than what he feels. Would you agree with that? Amen? Okay, not everybody would. You didn't grow up like I did. This was on the bottom of the sign of the church that I first preached at in Catula, Texas. It's a quote from Isaiah. Out of all the passages we could stick on our sign, here was the passage that was there when I drove up into the parking lot. Come, let us reason together. That's our history. If you've done any any research into it at all. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the fact that we have studied what God thinks. But folks, it's got to be balanced by what God feels. If you want the whole story. If you want to get the whole picture of God, and it is, it is imperative for me that you get the whole picture of God because I want you to be little Jesuses out there. You are the exact representation of what we're seeing in the Father. As Jesus beheld the glory of God, he then mimicked the glory of God, and that's what he's called us to in the simplest of ways. Mimic what you see. And so it's so hugely important for me to make the point for you God has emotions. There may not be any crying in baseball, but there is crying in the Bible. All right, let's look at this text, John chapter 11. You knew we were going here. When this event occurs in the Lord's life, he's reached superstar status. Forget Justin Bieber. Forget LeBron James. Forget Michael Phelps or Tim McGraw or any of those guys. Wherever this guy went, thousands flocked to him at this time in his life. And you know, that's understandable when every sick person that they brought to him was going to go home healed. And I get that. Every demon-possessed person brought to him went home freed. And when the man spoke, he shed light on life like no other teacher that has ever been heard since that time. He's at the Jordan River in the same area where John the Baptist was baptizing, and he's ministering to people and he's teaching them when he gets a memo from two sisters. Dear Jesus, come quick. It's Lazarus. 
He turns to the disciples and he says something really strange. Guys, we're not going. And this is for God's glory. Hang with me here. And for two days they stay. Now this had to be strange for the disciples. They literally have seen him doing ministry and a a Roman centurion sends a messenger and says, come help me heal. Please come and heal my, my slave who's sick. And he dropped everything and went. He gets a, a, a message from the leader of the synagogue himself. My daughter is dying. Please come help me. Drops everything that he's doing and goes to help her. Why isn't he doing it now? Hang on, guys. This is going to be good. And then for two days, they just keep doing what he's been doing. Healing, doing ministry. We don't, we're not even told. But then the Lord says it's time to go. And so they do. They have a conversation along the way. We don't have time to talk about this morning. But when they get there, Lazarus is dead. Did he miss it? God never misses it. And he had told them, he said, guys, this is going to be good. Just hang on and you'll see. But when they get there, it's not good. It's not. And one of the most poignant scenes, I think, in all of the New Testament has one of Jesus' closest friends. I know she's close because in John 11, verse 5, the Bible says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus and God love us all in the general way, but there's some people that he specifically loved in a way while he was in this flesh that's just like you. You hate to say it about your kids, but you've got your favorite. Now, mine changes on a week-to-week basis. One week it's Tabitha, one week it's Lauren, one week it's Tabitha, one week it's Lauren... A couple of weeks ago, it was Lauren twice because Tabitha was really a pain. It's okay. Lauren's been there almost a year, all right? (laughs) But we have our favorites. Well, I want you to know when he's in the flesh, he's letting us know he's really in the flesh. He's got his favorites too. He had some people he was closer to that he loved a little bit more intimately and deeply than he did all the rest. He loves Mary And Martha and Lazarus. And Martha runs to him and she says, If you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Wow, those are not easy words to hear. Now she finishes that up. She says, But Lord, even now I know whatever you say, it's going to be good. This sickness is not unto death, he had said to his disciples. He knew it wasn't going to be unto death, but here it is. Not ultimate death. Not the end death. Just kind of pause button death. The Lord leaves. Goes to where Mary and Martha live. Here comes a sister who is just distraught saying, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have had to suffer this. And then out comes the other sister. Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And all this is building. And and I, I don't think... I don't know what I think about this text, honestly. There's so much going on here. It would take, I think, almost a month to unpack this thing. But what's interesting is the text says that when Jesus sees them, when sees them weeping, he sees the, the Jews around them weeping in the situation, something stirs deeply in his heart. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and he was troubled. Where have you laid him, he asks. Interesting Greek word there. I can't even pronounce it well, so I'm not going to pronounce it, so you can pronounce it badly too, okay? 
But the Greek word there is really a sadness, a moving that is more about anger than it is about sadness or sorrow. It's, it's, it's that word that describes how you felt sometimes when it's just... And he expresses that here. Now remember, he knows he's going to fix this. He's already done it twice. The widow's son, Jairus' daughter, Tabitha, maybe one other, Peter's mother-in-law. We don't know how close some of these folks are. But he's done this raising of the dead thing already. He knows it's going to happen. And yet, he's deeply moved. What's going on there? I, I don't think it's because of the lack of faith of the disciples. I mean, they can barely get the idea that he can take a sack lunch and turn it into a feast for 4,000. They barely got that one. I don't think that they get the fact that he can really raise dead people whenever he wants to. I know for sure they don't get the fact that in just a couple of days, he's going to be dead. And he knows what that's going to mean. I think maybe that's part of it. I think the biggest reason why Jesus is just... is because he hates funerals. He does. Hates them. He hates to see people lose things that mean the world to them. And you need to know that, church. We don't just spiritualize funerals here at KCC. We realize that when someone loses someone that they love, that hurts. And it goes deep. And we realize that what we're seeing is the fulfillment of sin lived out in this world. The wages of sin is fill in the blank. Death. It's always death. Death to relationships, maybe death to a job, maybe death to a body, but eventually it's death to all of our bodies. That is one part of the wages of sin in my life I will pay in this world. The part that Jesus may be looking ahead to that goes along with just the fact that he hates seeing people lose things is he realizes in a couple of days it's going to go another level for him. He will be totally forsaken because he takes your sin debt on his shoulders. And that will kill him. And you will hear it when he cries out from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm, Who would want to go through that? What son would ever want to have their father turn his back on him? And there was a time when God the Father had to do that for you because he placed his full sin debt, your sin debt, on his son. Jesus hates funerals. He hates the fact that his disciples are going to have to go through this And the wreck that's going to be in their lives. He hates what he sees in Mary and Martha's life. Even knowing he can fix it. Because he cries when we cry. And he loves us. And this God has emotions. He hates funerals. And the good news is, church, the time is running out on goodbyes. One of the first messages that I had a chance to preach to you guys is this. There's coming a time soon when the trumpet's going to be blown and goodbyes will be history. But until then, funerals aren't fun. Even though we say things like I'm at the, this is just the end of the beginning, they're still hard because we have to believe all that by faith. It's not what we're experiencing in the moment. When Jesus is experiencing a funeral in the moment, you know what happened to him? Here's the Bible. Verse 35. 
shortest verse in all of Scripture. Least amount of characters put together that express something about God the Father or Jesus. It just simply says, say the verse with me. You've got to memorize two words. Jesus wept. My wife said earlier, that would be enough of a sermon right there. Don't you need to know that we have a God of Christ? I do. That he's not just some stoic figure up there issuing orders. But he cries with me because I cry. And he loves me. And he has emotions like me. That all helps me. Jesus wept. I really think this only has meaning when you understand he really can fix this. And he does. Lazarus, come out. And a new chapter starts in Lazarus and Mary and Martha's life. But you know what I I take out of that event is not so much resurrection. Hear me clearly. Relationship. My God's a God who resurrects things. But don't run past this. He wants to resurrect you, but He wants a relationship with you. And that's why we can't just focus on what He thinks. Yes, love Him with all your mind and soul and strength, but also love Him with your heart. Because His heart's in this. It's always been in this. And He wants us to get that because this is a chapter that I think shouts relationship more than resurrection. Dads, if there's a Father's Day message in it, I think it's this. Your job in this world is not to fix things. Father can fix things. Your job is to love things. Love them with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. He will settle for nothing less because he's Father and he knows how we need to Father. And I hope you realize... That this precedent that he sets is your precedent as a father. And I hope that you realize that it gives you permission to cry. There may not be any crying in baseball. But I promise you there's crying in the kingdom. Ah, but one day. No more. And he wants you to share in that one day. And the only way that you can is when you put your trust in this Jesus that he sent into this world. I want to invite you, if you've never done that, if you've never made this decision to make him Lord of your life and ever spent some time being shoved under some water like this to be brought out of that water, to applause and the knowledge that heaven's having a party because you did. Because you placed your trust in Christ and you were were buried and you were brought to life again. You can do that right now. As a matter of fact, there may be some some kids here today who would absolutely bless the socks off of their father, both here and there, if they said yes to Jesus. If that's something you've been contemplating, we'd love to see you baptized into Christ. But if there's some things going on in your life that are just killing you, could we be the Father's arms around you today? Could we weep with you? There couldn't be a greater privilege you could invite me into today. If there's something going on, some loss, some frustration, some anger, that you you just need to take to God. I asked Tabitha if I could share this story with her. It's part of what made this morning a little bit more difficult than normal because I've got a, 
I've got a policy with my family. I am going to talk about them all the time. But I will always ask permission. If I don't, it costs me 50 bucks. <laughs> you forgot about that, didn't you? She said I could tell the story. If it would help you understand. God Christ. And his biggest fear, his biggest hurt would be that he wouldn't spend eternity with you. He won't make you. So I'm asking, if you'd like to choose him, please come do that. If we can help you be comforted and strengthened today by being his arms and his words of grace over you, let us do that. Come on, church, let's stand. Let's sing. Father 